recording. We're recording this week's episode of Atticus Shrugged, our podcast about politics, culture, and other things going on in the South this week. Do I need an introduction? I guess I do. I'm West Cheek. I live here in Kyoto, Japan. I'm from Florida, and I'm moving to Liverpool, England, which I know nothing about. And with me this week is not Chad Watson, who is only with us in spiritual essence because he is busy right now. Uh, but we do have David Dykes. Hey, David Dykes. I'm from Tennessee, um, living in Mexico. That old story. You and Davy Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> did he think? Did he think he was living in Mexico? Though I don't know. I think I, mean, I was going to say I'm not trying to carve my part out and turn into America. <laughs> Although there's plenty of people who are. Yeah, there's a long-standing tradition of people from Tennessee, uh, air quotes, living in Mexico, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's the history of Texas. Yeah. The volunteers. Louisiana and, yeah, volunteer to move to, to move to Mexico and make it into Texas. Who, I guess, who's over, I think Tennessee's overrepresented in Louisiana, I would guess. So the Louisiana kind of makes sense. You're next door. Well, I don't anyway. know about that. I mean, maybe, but like East Tennessee went to Texas. That's why East Tennessee accent and Texas accent are so alike, especially oh. East Texas. Well, but aren't like Jim Bowie and all those guys, weren't they like Louisiana, like Louisiana, Mississippi, like slave trader guys? Could be. Knife fighting right. slave trader pirates, wilderness pirates. Did you go to school in Texas? Mm -mm. I went to your house. Yeah, and I was there, but I was and I was hanging out with people who were going to school. But they said that to get a degree, a college degree in Texas back then, mm -hmm. you had to take. You got to learn how to swim. Uh, yeah, you had to yeah. learn, take Texas government classes because the government's so weird in Texas. Well, I, apparently, according to them, the railroad commissioner is more powerful than the. Oh, yes, yes. Like that. yes, I heard that. that yeah, well, and the legislature is weird, right? It meets like every two years. Yeah, yeah. Because I know, I remember when I was living there with you, that was when George W. Bush was governor. And it was kind of, that was why it was kind of a charade that he was put in the position of governor to kind of put him in political power so he could be elected president. And the point was being made that the position of governor in Texas is like a largely symbolic position. Like they, or it can be because the legislature meets every two years. I and wonder so why they happen to figurehead. I gotta wonder why they'd put their best and brightest in there then. Rick Perry. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> or Joe Greg Abbott. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean we're one so look where we're from. Yeah. Well, Florida used to have decent government until quite recently. Florida had well, I not like my preference of government, but kind of that old school kind of like backroom deal maker, let's legislate kind of vision of government. Like we had the Lawton Childs, Bob Graham kind of government. Yeah. Uh, and now now we have the complete batshit insane. Um, let's pay let's pay the cops who won't get vaccinated to move here. Like that's the that's Florida government right now. The actual yeah. Well, Tennessee does a lot of, like, they propose a lot of crazy stuff. They don't pass all that much. They did take Nathan Bedford Forrest out of the state house and uh, give, give him a good talking to. Uh, free free um, um, community college and things like that. There's still some, some uh, sort of strangely progressive things that go on, but the rhetoric is certainly, you know, uh, Oh, what's her name? Marsha Blackburn. And like, just like we have so many embarrassments going on in the city. I thought you were going to say uh, free Mumia Abu-Jabal for a second there. I thought, oh, wow, they are progressive. <laughs> um, and I was going to say uh, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, Haslam isn't a, a Trump-style guy or wasn't a Trump-style guy. He's like very old school, big, big money corporate Republican. Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than batshit Republican. I think, well, that's in Florida, we have the issue of, well, DeSantis didn't really win necessarily, but he's in there now. And so now he's realized the style that works. Like, he's one of those weird freaks who went to Yale and Harvard, uh, but still wants to govern like a bumpkin. Like, uh, I don't know about this big city learning, but I know how we do it down here. But yeah, I was looking at DeSantis, and one scary thing is DeSantis is actually younger than me. Did you know that? That's scary. 
Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. And I was watching. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a show I watch sometimes called Some More News. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure why I watch it. It's, uh, you know, it's it's all right, I guess. Um, a little shrill. But um, he was talking, for one thing, he showed uh, DeSantis talking and he calls himself DeSantis. Like D instead of D. Uh-huh. And, um, but he was talking about him and um, um, it was, yeah, I was kind of surprised by his Harvard, Yale, et cetera, et cetera, pedigree, because he certainly went um, full Trumper. But there's a whole class of them, and I think, you know, it's very deliberate. So you have, like, Tom Cotton's one of those guys, right, the complete Ivy League. You have, of course, J.D. Vance, who came out as full white supremacist this week. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, my God. I can't recall the tweet exactly, but it's something like it's in support of Kyle Rittenhouse saying, look, when you have a bunch of thugs out there uh, burning down their own city, what else are you supposed to do or something like that? It's like, oh. Um, Uh, Yeah. And then, you know, it's the Ben Shapiro pipeline, but that's California. But there's a pipeline that produces conservatives and it's very deliberate. It's very, you know, well, like Tom Cotton and Ben Shapiro were selected. I think DeSantis, I don't care with DeSantis. I can't care, don't care, won't care. Um, He might have been like self-selected for that, but he was like a baseball guy. And so he went to Yale as a, as, a, as a baseball scholarship. And then he's from Jacksonville, which I'm trying to get uh, my friend from Jacksonville on to talk about, because Jacksonville is just a weird spot anyway. Um, and, you know, did, yeah, Yale, Harvard, and then did the uh, JAG thing. So went to Harvard Law and then did JAG. So he markets himself or did as being like Navy SEALs. But he was like a lawyer for the Navy SEALs who need one because they're, you know, a drug dealing gang, essentially. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of one of those guys. And it has to be said again, you know, went an insane racist campaign against uh, Gilliam, Andrew Gilliam, and then barely, if questionably, won. One, you know, largely because uh, voters in Florida had voted to uh, grant felons who'd served their time, their voting rights back, and Republicans just uh, said, no, we won't do it, even though everyone voted to do it. And once DeSantis got in, he's made sure that hasn't gone anywhere. And so he's kind of stuck in there now because, you know, there's two million, two million uh, voting age Floridians that can't vote because of felonies. And if you know anything about, um, you don't even have to know uh, uh, intro to sociology class, but you know how that breaks down. You know who gets charged with felonies and who doesn't, who gets picked yep. up on felonies and who doesn't. Um, and it's uh, 100% racial. And outside of that is 100% economic. So economic and racial. So, uh, yeah, um, it's one of those things. So we're pretty screwed in Florida in general. Which is weird because it's one of those states, if any state breaks right down the middle, it's Florida. Like I would never argue Florida is a liberal state, but it's also not a conservative state. It's a 50% down the middle state. But all of the government structures now have a, have a line to make that not possible. Well, I think part of the problem there is that um, it's down the middle, but then sort of crowding towards the extremes, um, which I'm not a big fan of centrism, but... Um, it does give you a little bit more play in your system. Maybe. I don't even, you know, I, extremes, I don't know. I don't know if there's an extreme left wing in Florida. I think it's one of those things where the right wing has pushed itself extreme out so far that, you know, being a moderate Democrat in Florida it will still get you, you know, yelled at. Well, that's a weird thing, you know, it's like talking about the extremes. Mm -hmm. What I I guess what I really meant was what used to be the extremes within Mm -hmm. the two parties. But what was, um, but the Republicans have gone so far past what used to be the extreme that there's not any balance or equity in talking about them uh, in similar terms. The extremes of one, like you don't have to go very far left to skip right out of the Democratic Party. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, you know, this is uh, going down a different road, but I think about that a lot. And I think it's weird for me because I think, I I think extremes are like trying to think about it on levels like that is never that great. But um, 
I think in some ways I might have been more moderate than I was when I was kind of firmly committed to being in the Democratic Party. It's just the Democratic Party has so proven itself so ineffectual in the face of Republicans that I I find myself uh, to the further to the left of it. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, it depends on the issues too. Like I think like I spent high school reading Noam Chomsky and was kind of like that's how the uh, that's how the yeah that's how the the, the world works. Um, and, and the Democratic Party was still kind of viable. Um, and now we watched uh, manufacturing consent together in we did in Austin. In Austin yeah, we did. Yeah. And what was the um, that video store in Austin? The good the really was it cool Vulcan? One? Probably Vulcan. Yeah, uh, that's one thing too. I'm going to do my old man nostalgic thing there. I miss like the, 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 the cool video store, a place that exists anymore. Like in Richmond, Virginia, it used to be like Strawberry Street Video. Like that's where like I got like so many movies I would have never seen. I remember Fresh was one of my favorite movies that no one watches. It was on like the recommended videos at Strawberry Street, and so I picked it up. And like Vulcan Video had all that cool stuff. Like I don't think those really exist anymore, do they? I mean, I don't even know that video stores exist anymore. They don't. I mean, they don't here in San Miguel. And if they don't in um, Mexico, it seems unlikely that they would in the U.S. <laughs> in America. There's still people, you know, you can still find a, a, a VHS tapes here. Um, yeah, we have Sutaya still in Japan, but a lot less of them. They've kind of disappeared. Uh, and, and a lot of them are where you can go if you want to, like, copy videos or copy albums like you can rent cds and videos there but like next to the register are um well it used to be like mds so you could just record this you could rent the cd and buy the md to record it on uh, uh. <laughs> that's kind of how it works but they also sell a lot of like comic books and stuff and in books and so i think they, they stay in that way i don't know if they rent videos anymore i heard a while ago i can't remember who was talking about it and i guess it's true that like it, one thing that's kind of scary about that is so many of our experiences now are like curated by the algorithm, like, cause we use streaming services and like I use Spotify and I think Spotify is a pretty horrible company, but like there's, it makes, for me, I used to have to carry CDs like back and forth from America to Japan. And I even brought all my records like in suitcases here, which was a bad idea. But like, it's great for me that I don't have to do that anymore. But it's also like my experience of what I listen to is it's like, you know, oh, you're listening to a lot of like 1990s hip hop. Would you like to listen to more 1990s hip hop? And it's just kind of like, you know what? <laughs> I should probably get out of this loop at some point. But like, where where does that come from inside the algorithm, you know? Well, we've got uh, a cafe here that if you go and tell them what you want, they'll burn anything for you and sell it to you as far as uh, uh, CD or DVDs go. Um, oh, really? That's nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I never use it because I just stream stuff all the time. Um, same same here. And yeah, there's, a, there's an article, somebody wrote it or a story about how pavement um their most listened to or most streamed song on spotify is not one of their well-known songs and so they're trying to figure out like why is this the most popular like pavement song on spotify and it turns out like the algorithm was picking it up as like lo-fi background music for cafes and so like every cafe in the world who's like um yeah like lo-fi melodic indie rock or whatever it would pick up this pavement song like this I can't remember what it is. Like that's how obscure it is, and I pretty much know every pavement song. Uh, and um, yeah, it became like, their most listened to stream song. And even Steve Malcolmus was like, "What? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> uh, uh, it's like I don't even know if I remember that one. Um, yeah, that's that's funny. We should uh, is pavement a southern band? We should talk about that sometime. Not today. I don't know. I I, I listened to pavement a total of once. They went to UVA, or some of them went to UVA, which counts. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things, well, we talk about music like this a lot. I, I mean, they're really good. I don't know if I could push them on you, but they're, I, I think even in retrospect, I've gone back and listened. It's like, oh, this, I was not wrong about this. They're quite good. It holds up. I was riding in the car with um, Brandon Bush, and he said, check these guys out. And yeah. I listened to a couple of songs. And uh, I was like, yeah. And that was the last I ever heard of Pavement. 
Brandon mm. did that for a lot of us. I remember Brandon, who, Brandon, who still needs to be on because he, he's one of the people who actually uh, wants to be on. So that's good. Um, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, you know, used to bring those crates of CDs to, to camp, like crates, like the middle of his room would be set up tables. Like, I don't know where he got them from the cafeteria, probably tables with like 10 crates of CDs on them. And like, that's how I... <laughs> That's how I first listened. I think, you know, I was like 12 years old and Brandon's like, have you heard uh, Parliament Funkadelic? <laughs> Mike puts on the CD. So I, think, <laughs> I think Brandon played that role for a lot of us. Um, yeah, I, um, I heard a lot uh, or quite a few things through the, well, Christian also. Christian, uh, I remember I recorded my first REM album. Uh, I recorded it onto a cassette from one of... Uh, uh christian bush's um uh vinyls oh wow uh actually i have murmur on one side and reckoning on the other it was a 90 minute thing and it lasted for like 15 years do you still the thing like where you have those tapes that you made and you um think of the songs being in the order that they are on those tapes like even if they don't go together necessarily I some of that and more um, playlists, you know, more recent things where I started putting together playlists rather than mixtapes. Yeah, I still remember things as being in the order they are on a mixtape that I had when I was 16. Yeah. So anyway, despite all appearances, we do have a theme today. And it's something we were we were going to talk about for a while. But uh, David, since you suggested it, why don't you clarify the theme for me and everyone else? Uh, well, I, I was talking and thinking about we made lists of Southern novels and uh, Southern bands, and we talk about Southern culture in a lot of ways. And I thought, well, I, I thought maybe talking about um, Southern, like online Southern content, maybe especially podcasts that we're okay. um, really enthusiastic about. Yeah, well, that's, I, I'm I'm ready to do it. Although I think that I want to say that I listen to Southern podcasts and uh, I'm aware of some of them that I really want them to do well, and I uh, I don't listen to them. I don't because I just not not for any problem. It's just like I don't I don't commute anymore, and I don't so. Um, I listen to so I don't want to say I listen to a few podcasts because I have a few that I really listen to. Um, but I don't like I think I listen to that many Southern ones. Like I, I love the Trillbillies and I wish them all the best and I'm so happy they do well and I never listen to them anymore. And it's not it's not them, it's me. It's just like I don't like uh I I listen to a lot of like soccer podcasts, you know. <laughs> um I sort of skip around quite a bit and I yeah. tend to go to YouTube more often than I go to podcasts because yeah, when I'm taking a long trip. I'll download a whole podcast and listen to it. But just my commute is like three minutes long, uh-huh. uh, between three and seven minutes, depending on traffic. And so, you know, I can barely listen to a whole pop song in that amount of time. But I have stuff that I mostly what I uh, do is I watch and listen to stuff on uh, YouTube. And then there's a few things like uh, um, there's a thing called two bees in a podcast. Okay. And it's like a totally weird, it's a, um, it's from the University of Florida and it's Apiculture really? podcast. Really? It's, yeah, it's just beekeeping. And occasionally I listen to it just because I like sort of dropping into weird other worlds that yeah. have their own lingo and everything else. That's not, that didn't quite make my list because although so, uh, some stuff that's not really targeted to me did make the list. but. Um, yeah, it's just a kind of uh, odd little thing talking about beekeeping. And, um, you know, I know a couple of beekeepers, and uh, I think it's kind of cool in that a, sort of woodsy way. Yeah, I think our friend Helen is a member of her beekeeping club at college, is she not? Oh, okay, yeah. Mm. Um, Maybe. And I used to know beekeepers. Uh, I think Brant Womack does it. That would make sense. And uh, then my cousin, uh, Ray Clark, does it. Joe Clark's brother. You remember Joe Clark? From, yeah, of uh, course. Uh, Country Joe Clark. Uh, the Harmony Bob. Yes, yeah. yes. Cousin Joe. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it is it is an important thing to do now too because we're running out of bees and we're running out of pollinization. Yeah, and so, so but yeah, that's the sort of thing that I sometimes drop in on. But as far as listening regularly, I'm just going to count down five things uh, right. in more or less their order. Should we go back and, and forth? <laughs> yeah, let's go back and forth if you don't mind. Okay, so not I did, I picked things that weren't podcasts too. So why don't you why don't you do yours first, and then I will. I think online content broadly online content does that work? Yeah, Southern yeah, that online works. content that we enjoy. Okay, yes. So why don't you take it off first? So um, my friend Ernie recommended this one to me, or uh-huh. your friend too, our friend uh-huh. Ernie, um, who lives in uh, Manhattan now, I think, or Brooklyn, but I think he lives in Manhattan. And has been in New York for a long time, but he gets a little nostalgic for Tennessee. Um, um, and he turned me on to a makeup show uh-huh. that is called Kisha's Hidden Coverage by uh, Kisha Royce. And she's from uh, Kentucky, uh, Eastern Kentucky, up in the, the hills. And it's probably good advice about makeup. But she Mm -hmm. also talks about her kids, she talks about her family, and she has an Appalachian accent that would put my sisters to shame. Uh, It's like really deep uh, Appalachian. And I listen to her just partly just for the accent. And then occasionally she does uh, shows about cooking. And she'll talk about how to pickle cabbage or how to make biscuits and gravy or one thing and another. And I just, I just really love her. I think she's sweet. I think she, I love her accent. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my, my number five. Yeah. You got me, you, you introduced me to her and showed her to me and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty nuts. Like it's, it's what it's really interesting because she does have the accent that's very nostalgic for me, uh, not from where I'm from, but from where you guys are from. And it's also one of those like I am kind of not so aware of this, but I've been made aware about it that those kind of makeup YouTube channels and TikTok and stuff are really super influential. Like a lot of people watch them, and a lot of people get a lot more of their understanding of the world, not just of makeup from those. So it's kind of cool to see someone uh, someone doing that. Okay, I like it. It's, it's really interesting. Um, and she seems to be super popular, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, I'm not sure what's a great audience for uh, for a makeup show. I think some of them are crazy popular, and I just don't even know. But I just tune it in every once in a while. I get little um, uh, flags in my feed that say that she's going live right now or whatever. Yeah. All right, that's good. So I guess it's me. Which one will I do first? Okay, so uh, for me, this is neither a podcast nor a YouTube channel, but something I enjoy very much from the South, which is um, Jason Isbell's uh, Twitter. <laughs> um, if you're, I think a lot of people are aware of Jason Isbell. He used to be in Drive By Truckers. He now has an insanely successful solo career. He's from, I think, like, uh, where in Alabama? Like maybe like Sand Mountain, like up, up okay. like Fort Bay, North, North Alabama area um very interesting life uh and his his twitter is super cool because he's kind of very unapologetically uh liberal southerner and it's funny because he's so good at country music that country music fans don't really know what to make of that and it kind of um breaks their heads a lot so he's not like He's not like an annoying liberal. He's very good at it. Like where, so he is on tour again and, and only plays places where people uh, can demonstrate being vaccinated. And so he'll get people saying like, um, well, how do you expect fans like me to come to the show? And he'll just say, well, I don't. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and things like that. So he, he, he's very good, just kind of a straightforward guy, uh, really kind of, just honest about himself and honest about what he thinks. And so it's, I think, a nice demonstration of how to be liberal in Southern spaces without being like a, a shithead, um, which which seems easy, but you watch a lot of people fail at it all the time, um, especially Yankees. But I, th- I think he does show a really good way to like 
kind of be a part of the South and also liberal and a part of country music and, um, and not be smarmy and not be a jerk and, and just be kind of, kind of cool. So yeah. uh, Jason Isbell's Twitter is, is, uh, is my pick number one. Well, you know, I don't really tweet in Twitter. Yeah, it's good. I, have, I have uh, an account and I only follow one person, but that That's person me. provides me between 50 and 100 tweets a day to deal with. So I, I realize good. now that I play this role in several people's lives and I, I'm not uh, enthusiastic about it, um, although I accept you it. You think you're not enthusiastic about it. <laughs> Well, it's a weird thing because like Twitter isn't meant to be like consumed that way, right? And so I always, I feel like I have to explain to people like when you see me using Twitter, it's when I'm stuck at my desk having to do like other stuff and I am not crazy about the other stuff that I'm doing. So I'm just commenting on things that are kind of going on. And it's because I have an office job now. Like this weekend I was out of town. I wasn't on Twitter. It was like, great. I didn't even want to look at it once. Uh, I was uh, fine driving around to the mountains, seeing all the fall colors. But um, when I'm stuck at a computer or I'm like in a Zoom meeting, which I have no interest in, it's like, okay, uh, I'm going to talk about stuff. And I think Twitter works like if you're just following a few people, it's weird because like I follow like 5,000 accounts. And so I'm seeing like constant stuff. And I've come to realize there are people who follow like 50 people and one of them is me. And so they just think I'm a madman. Like just like, you know, it's like no it's like i'm following like five thousand accounts so i'm kind of just going along with that anyway moving on from discussing me on twitter hey but twitter is how i know like twitter is like how i know like like uh 75 of the people we've had on our show it's also i think how i got my job my new job that i have now so hey it's useful for some things all right sorry well, I'm, not so, I'm not so down on it it's just not a good medium for somebody with my type of attention yeah. Um, um, so, uh, well, my second one is one that I don't listen to as much as I would like to. It's a little time consuming, but Old Gods of Appalachia, which is like a narrative, like a Cthulhu uh, narrative um, 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 uh, podcast. Hmm, and I, I discovered it, I think. Through um, maybe through Mariah Bolenbacher, I'm not sure who it was who first huh. said check this out, uh, but some some camp person, and um, you know it's just like a lot of it is good storytelling, and it's if you're into that sort of stuff, I'm not going to go into it too much because it's it's just what it sounds like. It's like sort of schlocky horror yeah. in the um, uh, Lovecraft vein but set in Appalachia and a lot more sort of uh, woke, I guess we might say, than uh, Lovecraft, like not problematic in the way that Lovecraft. <laughs> well, that's, that's a low bar. Yeah. He's yeah. kind of problematic in all the ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, there's something about the uh, way that he writes and the things that he had to say that sort of, um, uh, because I think it mostly it becomes really important to, certain types of people in their early teens and it just sort of haunts you throughout your life uh this um this vein of fiction uh because i don't know anybody who comes to lovecraft in the middle of their life and goes oh this is really what i want to read this is so good this is i th i think that's why i'm on the outside of it because i've never read it and i'm in my 40s now so it's probably too late yeah. for me to care i would say it's probably too late yeah although there's good stuff that's produced in the sort of uh lovecraft exactly yeah the lovecraft cinematic universe <laughs> well and you read a lot too about like how so much of, of various genres now like really rely back on him like for writing what he wrote yeah yeah i i'm rereading uh the once and future king right now oh nice and uh i haven't read it in years and um yeah i was kind of reading that too like how how many, because you're reading it and you're like, okay, uh, J.K. Rowling stole all this. And then um, I think I think Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, Neil, Neil, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman also was like, Gaiman was like, uh, oh yeah, by the way, I stole all of this too. So uh, <laughs> kind of everyone steals on it. Okay, so my my next one I have is, uh, is a podcast and I'm glad we're doing this today because I just started listening to this again and I remembered how good it is. It's uh, The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast it's a sports podcast 
Uh, but if are, do you know Bomani Jones, David? Believe it or not, I, that's not on my sports podcast listening list. Well, he's he's great, and I he actually follows me on Twitter and uh, direct messaged me to ask me questions once. Aren't I important? Nice. Validate me, validate me. Um, he what is Lisa Simpson Young? Judge me, validate me. Um, <laughs> but. No, I like him a lot as a commentator. He, he's a very smart guy. And he's from Houston and then uh, went to school in Atlanta, I think, and then went to Duke to grad school. But he has a sports podcast, but it actually talks about things I care about in a way that I care about. Um, and he also is very good about – He, I think you would recognize him as a very Southern character when you hear him talk. And he, I think he's very conscious of that. But he's – you know. He's a black guy, and so he talks about Texas as having ownership over tech over being from Texas as a black person, which is a voice we don't get very much in media, right? Like we have a lot yeah. of people who are like, "I'm very Texas," but we know kind of what that means wrapped up in being white. But he's very much uh, from Texas and of Texas, and is um, and and is interested in things outside of you know super super white stuff so it's interesting for me and it's been the reason i started listening to him again this week is because you probably haven't been following but there's been the drama about aaron Rodgers lying about getting um a covid vaccination by saying he was immunized against covid but it turns out he was doing homeopathy (laughs) yeah i just heard i just heard somebody talking about that on a podcast i listened to and i wasn't quite sure who he was but Uh, i knew he was a sports guy and that they were distinguishing between how there's lots of people in sports who aren't getting the shot, right? But they just say, I'm not getting the shot, right? And he said, There's no little clip where he said, I'm immunized, right? And right, like, right. Oh. And so I heard that, and immediately I thought, You know who I want to hear talk about this is Bomani Jones. So I went, <laughs> I went to start listening to this podcast again, and it's you know as good or better than I remembered. Um, I think he was, he, he's been pushing on on saying about Aaron Rodgers like uh, you lying, <laughs> we know you lying, um, and and he's been talking about that a lot too, like about how about how like do you think like think about kind of the not just political but kind of the the alignment of most people involved in the NFL, and he's like, do you think that like there's tons of people who aren't getting away with the same scam? just Aaron Rodgers kind of did this Northern California slip up of thinking he was really clever and saying, I'm immunized or I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm immunized against it. Uh, so yeah, I think if you're interested, not just in sports, but how these things relate to society and stuff like, uh, but my right time with Bomani, Bomani Jones, excellent, excellent, uh, podcast. So that's my uh, second pick there. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll note that down and uh, give it a listen. The right time, the right time. All right. And uh, let's see, my next one is one that I'm a little ambiguous about, but it's uh, uh, The Bitter Southerner has a podcast. Oh, they do? I haven't listened to them. Well, they've got their magazine, which is, um, there's a a certain type of, there's a certain way of being highbrow about the South that Mm -hmm. I feel like is sort of a betrayal of some Southern things, because highbrow isn't really our thing. Uh, I mean, you know, certainly Faulkner's highbrow. Um, uh, there's plenty of, of how highbrow writers mm-hmm. and complex thinkers and one thing and another, but uh, and highbrow isn't quite, quite the right word. I think maybe middle class. And I think the Bitter Southerner covers a lot of interesting and important stuff all over the South, and they go into depth, and they're doing sort of uh, uh, like Harper's style coverage of things. Uh, which is to say not timely as much as as in depth mm-hmm. um, but it also is being seen a little bit from above and and outside it feels like to me a lot of times that said i don't want to qualify that too much because i really do like uh the bitter southerner in general i get uh, uh, uh there's a lot of stories uh, that are uh well worth reading and the podcast is a nice listen you know it's like uh um, uh, it's smart. It's not going to be super sensationalistic, but it's well produced and they're not, they're not producing tons. Like they've done a couple of seasons and they should have a third one starting soon, but it's not their main focus. And I heard that their, um, founder just 
kind of left. I'm not sure if he was nudged out or forced out or just walked out, but uh, he's, um, you know, they, uh, they came to a mutual agreement that it was time for him to move on. And so I don't know how that's going to change the magazine or what it's putting out, but, um, but yeah, the bitter Southerner podcast is a good one. Yeah. I haven't listened to the podcast. I, I like them. Okay. I think our friend Phil Blank does some artwork for them, right? Oh, it could be. Yeah. Didn't they do like the, the creepy ghost story that we salted nanny? Was that bitter Southerner? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and, it's a really creepy story. I want to go on the record saying I don't believe a word of it is true. But I was I was reading it, and they had this great artwork integrated in with the story. And I was thinking, this is really creepy artwork. And then I get to the bottom, it's like art by Phil Blank. And I was like, oh, well, this feels creepy, <laughs> creepy artwork. Uh, you should go back and read that story. It's a creepy story, but it's one of those that I think relies on the kind of like uh, creeped out you get like at nighttime in Appalachia. But I don't get that anymore at all so it's like kind of like i i imagine you don't either having spent many evenings i haven't grown up here. next to a graveyard yeah i haven't grown up next to like the creepiest possible appalachian graveyard <laughs> so what we're talking about we saw we salted nanny i think we saw the nannies in bitter southerner there's also what are the other outlets that i get confused with bitter southerner there's scalawag and uh there's a few other good like outlets putting out southern content uh oxford american garden and gun <laughs> I yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I saw that uh, Bitter Southerner is open for um, submissions. I think we should just submit our podcast to them. Um, get an affiliation going. Uh, yeah, I like them too. So is it my turn again? Uh, it is from the Bitter. I'm looking. It is from the Bitter Southerner. Uh, and I'm kind of checking it out. So yeah, your turn. Well, no, I want to ask you still, we're talking about being creeped out. Like I do not, I used to, I can remember as a kid being in the woods and getting creeped out. I do not, I have to work really hard to get creeped out now. I just don't like it's. And so a lot of that story is based on kind of the creepiness you get when your house is like up against the holler. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't get that anymore. Really? Like I could, like if I really tried maybe watched a scary movie or something, but. Like, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I think you will probably not be surprised and probably won't have too much doubt about this, but I've never been creeped out. I'm not a person. Who <laughs> no. It's like, well, when I go to, when I'm at your house in Tennessee, like I put a hammock on the porch and I sleep out there and never think twice. All I think about is like, I hope the neighbor doesn't shoot me on accident, but like, I don't yeah. ever think, <laughs> I don't ever think, oh, you know, right over my right shoulder is a graveyard, a really creepy graveyard. And then, and then like a giant massive hole in the ground full of water. Like it doesn't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. And so that story, I, I wanted to we talk all about the We Salt the Nanny. Like, I think that I don't want to say bad things about the people who wrote the story. I can't tell if they wrote it as fiction or not, but it's like a lot of the stuff to me sounds like the creepiness you get when you go outside of an old house at night and you realize a deer is watching you, right? Like, yeah. And the first time that happens, that's a little weird. The second time it happens, you're like, oh, that's the deer again. And like the third time, you're like, oh, cool, there's going to be deer out here. Right. And like, I understand why it's creepy. Like I've had that experience where you go out to get firewood and you look up and there's like a deer just kind of looking at you out in the woods. It's a little, it can startle you for a second, but I don't, I don't immediately think they're the ghost of the Indians who used to live on the property. Well, for me, I've always, I mean, I've spent, uh, when I was young, I was afraid some, but I was always afraid of people. Like I was never afraid right, of, right, of right. moods or spirits or anything else. Right. Like, uh, I grew up around a lot of angry, scary people yeah. and, um, that was all the fear I needed in my life. I didn't need the, the, uh, fear. and uh, intangible. Now I had plenty of, uh, like, um, you know, the neighbor's alcoholic dad who, uh, well, right. I won't even tell the story. It's horrible. But right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of that. And I think I've told the story before too, but I remember when I was an exchange student, um, 
I went to a festival way up in the mountains near where we live now. And it's way out. It's a really creepy area. If you want to get creeped out, it's a really narrow valley. It's like one of those places where it's dark, even around like three in the afternoon, because the mountains are so steep. And it's got yep. all these temples that are supposed to be related to all of these old stories. And, you know, people have been living up there for a thousand, over a thousand years. And it's, it's a weird spot. And I'm at this festival, which is supposed to be kind of weird. It's like people carrying fire torches around and stuff. And I couldn't make the last train home. So I decided, uh, well, I'll just go sleep. I'll find a place to go sleep on the ground somewhere. And I like found this space. It didn't seem to be anybody's house. And I went and laid down. I'm kind of sleeping. And uh, I'm next to a stream, this kind of stream coming down out of the mountains. And I, I wonder, I kind of wonder for a second, like, where am I sleeping? And I look around and realize I'm in the middle of a graveyard. And then I realize, oh, yeah, but I'm completely like, not creeped out at all like what what and then from then on like the switch went i'm like there's nothing particularly creepy to me anymore because like yeah. what what if what if there were ghosts and they all showed up right now like what would change like i'm at a i'm in a mountain village in japan like what would the ghost do like try to talk to me like i don't understand what happens then like <laughs> what do you like for breakfast is it toast like i don't know what do they do like I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Just, like really like what's it what's the difference between at that point especially then like if it's a 95 year old japanese person and a ghost like what's the difference to me like i mean the ghost would probably run away faster <laughs> yeah right like the, at least the real <laughs> right like the the real life person could actually like call the police on me or something like poke me with a stick it's like the ghost is like what what i don't know i don't even know what's the scary part like do do a weird face like, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, my next one, my next one, I'm going to do another sports podcast now just because I have it on my list. Uh, and that's, there's a podcast called the total soccer show and, uh, it's out of Richmond, Virginia. And so this one kind of occurred to me when we were talking about this. I never think about it as being particularly Southern. Um, <laughs> but I am always happy that it's from Richmond where I used to live and I have a certain kind of nostalgia for Richmond. And when they talk about places in there, I'm interested in it. And this is kind of, it's kind of a bummer story. I started listening to this podcast. I, every time around when the world cup comes around, I listen to like all the soccer podcasts I can get my hands on because I want to know about teams. I don't know about and players. I don't know about. And uh, there, when I found, when was I first leaving Kyoto? Like, 2011 ish i guess going up to the 2012 world cup was that a world cup does that line up maybe it doesn't line up i started listening to them back then and then i kept doing it when i was in uh new orleans and i remember world, one world cup years having to drive a lot so i was listening to to all of it and um it's a host it was by taylor rockwell and daryl grove taylor rockwell i guess is from richmond i don't know him um and Daryl Grove was, was from England and had moved to Richmond. And so he was always great for me to listen to because he would pick up on things that were different or interesting or that he had kind of uh, grown to love about, about Richmond. And it was great to listen to. Then sadly, last year, he passed away when he was... Um, this last year of uh when he was 40 he had cancer and kind of talked about it on the podcast and it was strange because it wasn't a world cup year i kind of heard him mention being sick uh and thought oh that sucks um but i didn't realize how bad it was and then all of a sudden on twitter it was like he he had passed away uh and it, it's you know really sad when a guy who's you know a little bit younger than me passes away from cancer and um and I still like the podcast. I still listen to it a lot. I'm not nothing bad about the podcast, but I do really miss him uh, talking about not necessarily soccer related things uh, as being a British person who re relocated to Richmond, Virginia was always uh, interesting for me. But I still recommend uh, Total Soccer Show. Not as much social content as you're going to get from Bomani Jones, but um, it's a show. I, I'm still happy that there's a, a, a sports podcast that comes from Richmond, Virginia, a place that I like a lot. And also, if you're interested in in soccer, uh, that area of Virginia and North Carolina um, is one of the hotbeds of, of soccer in America, I think, kind of outside of California, that kind of North Carolina, Virginia area. So it's, it's a good podcast. If you like a technical breakdown of, of soccer matches like I do, it's, it's a very good one to listen to. Um, and if you like casual references to Richmond, Virginia being being thrown in a lot, uh, it's a good listen. So my my is that my third thing. My third thing is Total Soccer Show podcast. All right. Uh, number four for me. <clears throat> so. A lot of people probably know uh, from the internet or wherever um, uh, Trey Crowder, 
who's yeah, sometimes I called I, yeah i never listen to him at all i <laughs> hear i think he circulates a lot on facebook but anyway sorry tell, tell yeah. us about him but yeah they call him the liberal redneck or he calls himself that and he does a lot of, of pretty funny stuff in a very uh uh political vein and then he also does things where he just sort of stacks up invective against conservatives and one thing and another in a um, uh, sort of almost a parody of what, of how Southerners and particularly Appalachians talk about mm -hmm. people they don't like. And so you're much more likely to hear it directed at uh, uh, daggum liberals than you are at uh, daggum conservatives. But right. he's good and he's, um, you know, the, you can, you can kind of take him or leave him, I guess. But he has a weekly show called The Weekly Skews where it's him and uh, someone else. Uh, A.G. is the last name. I forget the guy's first name. Uh, oh, Mike. I think they call him smart guy Mike A.G. His last name's uh, A.G.? He got a good uh, uh, Appalachian last name. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, um, they basically just go over the week's news and do commentary about it and point out things that I might not have caught because it's like small stories like – just something stupid that Marjorie Taylor Greene said, or um, uh, they co they cover largely the South, but not exclusively Washington too, um, uh, Washington, and national stories. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but largely, um, I mean, that's the South, but it's I mean, yeah. uh, official Washington. Right. Uh, the national news stories, but a lot of Southern stuff, and especially uh, Georgia politics. Uh, Tennessee politics and Florida politics. I think there's sort of an axis there. Uh, and they're all very um, uh, sort of populist. And um, um, yeah, it's just like, a, a, the, it's it's interesting to hear their commentary. They kind of keep me caught up and keep me entertained while I'm listening to them. Uh, uh, just to the, uh, some of the minutiae that I don't get from, you know, scanning headlines in the mornings. I don't, uh, I don't spend hours a day studying the news. And so a lot of stuff kind of slips by me unless I listen to some commentary shows and stuff. And so I got, uh, I got a uh, weekly skews Trey Crowder's uh, show as uh, number four for me or which is sort of number two for me. If I'm counting backwards, if I'm counting down. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was counting up, but with no particular order. All right. Yeah. So I guess this will be my fourth pick counting down my second pick counting up i don't i didn't really think of it there being a number one but um yeah, fourth pick, uh is uh the lens new orleans the online newspaper the lens um co-founded i think by our mutual friend karen gabois uh, oh nice yeah uh who straight strange connection it turns out like i knew her independently of you knowing her and then it turns out we know a lot of the same people um yeah but the lens is, uh, you know, it's well, their kind of tagline is focused on New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. But they're one of like, it seems to me like the last kind of local newspapers that really dig into and inquire skeptically about things going on in their area. Like my hometown newspaper is just a wreck at this point. Like, I don't even know what it's called anymore. It's not the playground daily news and Northwest Florida daily news. Like their website, if you go to it, is almost un unlookable it's almost unwatchable it's almost you can't look at it it's so just like cluttered with advertisements and stuff and it's all it's all kind of like what radio is now it's like a satellite feed of somewhere else like it's hard to find a local story in my local paper but the lens is uh pretty much all all local stories um i'm just looking at their headlines today like they have things like divergent rulings on how to treat old split jury verdicts could prompt action from louisiana supreme court or at budget hearing, council raises privacy cost concerns over smart cities proposal, things like that, things that you would actually need to know about and want to know about to be like a citizen in your hometown. And they've done um, great, like kind of breaking stories. They a lot on uh, when Ray Nagin was getting in a lot of trouble. Um, they also, when my kid's school was getting closed down, uh, they were great about showing up to meetings and reporting on that. So they're kind of a very active, like what we think about a good newspaper used to be, uh, they they do. And so I always check in for for actual news on what's going on in New Orleans. I check in on the lens and I think they're they're a really good example of what we could what what an online newspaper, a local online newspaper could be in the current media landscape if we actually had funding for these kind of things.
So that's my thing. Oh, that's right. I doubt, you know, I've never read it, and I'll put it on my list. Because I kind of looked to see if there was something New Orleans that I hadn't um, – uh, uh, that I had forgotten that I used to listen to or whatever. But uh, one of the problems with New Orleans as a basically a tourist town uh-huh. is that so much of the media produced by it is about promoting it yeah. as, you know, this sort of, of uh, artificial version of it. Uh, like anything that says the insider's guide to, right, it's right. like, well, if you're inside, you don't need a guide. Right, and right. so it's basically it's all for uh, outsiders, for tourists, or for yeah. sort of thrill-seeking hipsters, rather than any sort of organic connections. Well, and also, you know, the Times Picayune, which was one of America's great newspapers, was bought out by the Advocate, and they cut all of, like the Times Picayune staff a few years back. So yeah, yeah, you know. they just carved it to pieces. Right, which is sad, but it's what's mm-hmm. happening to newspapers across the country, which you wonder. Then, like, you know, I mean, essentially, I would think like our local officials and and government are essentially just unmonitored at this point. Like, how how do you even report a scam? Like what? Like, you know, I think about my local representative, Matt Gates. What would he look like if there was an actual like responsible local newspaper? Yeah. Well, the uh, I think the Pulitzer Prize winners were the first to go because they're expensive. Yeah, I think at the at Times Pick, that was that was it, right? Like you had all these people whose coverage during Hurricane Katrina was, you know, the best you could do journalism was universally uh, uplifted as this is how you do it. And then they were. Yep. Nah. The same thing happened in Knoxville to a certain extent. I mean, there weren't Pulitzer Prize winning papers there, but there were good, solid newspapers. Used to be mm-hmm. two when I was a kid. And then the journal name got bought by some right wing nut job who then produced a, like a weekly rag of conspiracy theories. And the Sentinel, now almost all of their news comes from the Nashville paper. Yeah, that's how it works. Um, and then, you know, you yeah. have like what's the Chicago paper now. They get bought out by like hedge funds and billionaires and stuff and then liquidated for either the name brand or for for the money they can get out of it. Like, you know. They just like go in all these iconic newsrooms. They go and just shut them down and like say, go five people go go work out of a little office in the suburbs and like let's get some online content going. It's pretty sad. So my last one, which is for me my favorite uh, my favorite podcast out of the South, it was limited and it was and it originated in the North, but it was about the South and it's S Town. Um, oh, uh, a euphemism for shit town. And to me, it's incredibly Southern. It has an incredible degree of pathos. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's great storytelling. It unfolds like a novel. There's layers on layers on layers of what's going on. Uh, Every chapter, I think the whole thing's like eight or nine chapters long, probably. And it, um, it just tells a big sort of hilarious and tragic story. And I had, I uh, re-listened to part of it recently and I'd forgotten how much of it is funny because it, it's ultimately such a kind of sad story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh-huh. it led to, it made us finally make this podcast, which we had been supposed to make for years. Yeah. Because we wanted to talk about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and figure we should figure we should record ourselves talking about it. And so that was um, um, that was that was number one for me. Okay, so my number one, I've kind of been uh, editing the list as I go, and I think my number one is going to be a bit nebulous, but it's uh, New Orleans Twitter and Southeast Louisiana Twitter in general for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, because I think it's um, it's really funny and I like it and I enjoy it. But two, like uh, it's so effective. Like during Hurricane Ida recently and stuff. Um, people have been so effective at just doing not only mutual aid, but just mutually informing each other and checking up on each other and relaying news to each other and evaluating what's good news, what's not good news. How do we understand this? How do we process this and organizing, you know, not only uh, trips to go help out people, uh, money, uh, cash payments for people also, you know, uh, the, the, um, Organizing like book clubs that are. I'm trying to think. How, have you read uh, Black Reconstruction yet? Our book club that we did, reading uh, 
Du Bois was organized just kind of on the Southeast Louisiana Twitter and asking who wanted to participate. So I think it's a really good example of, of how Twitter can be very good and be very informative and also be ridiculous at the same time and fun. And so I think that, and especially now after Hurricane Ida, that's where I get my news and like what's going on with like the uh, Native American tribes, the the, unaf- the not nationally recognized Native American tribes, like the Homa Nation and the uh, Point Ashan and people out there, like what's going on there. I, I can see that daily and, and people not only look at this stuff, they organize around it and kind of help each other around it. So my number one favorite thing on the Internet that Southern is, is New Orleans Twitter and broadly Southeast Louisiana Twitter. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. It makes me want to uh, plug in a little bit more at the same time that I'm trying to unplug a little bit from. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm on Facebook a lot these days, and it's. I'm not. I mean, I know why people don't like it, but it helps me stay in touch with a lot of people from all over the world. But I realize I can do a lot of that through Messenger without uh-huh. being, uh, uh, without reading. Uh, daily posts from or maybe I should just pare it down I don't know but uh, uh, maybe I'll get some uh, tips from you on how to have a how to have a relationship to Twitter Uh yeah Uh, but I I know that following a lot of people seems a little bit counterintuitive but it makes sense the way you explained it to me yeah it's so much because it's not um you don't, you can, you don't have to pay attention to all of it at once. I think it, I think for me, like I'm always kind of like, uh, you can't see the hand motions that I'm making around, but like consuming news and things like that, I'm kind of all over the place anyway. And so Twitter is good for me because I can just like look through stuff. And then like, there'll be like, someone will say this long form article was great. And then I'll go like, okay, boop and read that long form article for an hour or something or look into that. But it can be, you know, a horrible distraction, but so can anything else. And I can't tell other people what's what about Facebook. I had to just stop for a while because I think it was the pandemic got me where it's like, and this is probably mainly because I'm involved in jujitsu, but it was like people who I think are really wonderful, great people saying insane bullshit about the pandemic. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore because I felt like, I feel like Facebook prompts me to comment on things and like i need to not i need to like i it's hard for me to look at facebook and say you know what you don't need to say anything about this you don't need to have an you don't need to tell people your opinion on this and i think for so long i i was kind of having the persona on facebook like i will say something about this and it's like i i don't need to like and so and so for me that just involved like not looking at facebook which i haven't done for a while I, I still comment in some contexts, but I'm uh, judge context. And my, the, my way of phasing out of that was I would write long um, replies and then I would get up and walk away and come back down uh, and come sit back down and just delete them without even looking at them again. Yeah. And just I deleted, I yeah. what I needed to say and <laughs> I might as well say it into the void. And so I did. Yeah, I think that's probably healthy. But also, you know, I made I got back on Facebook recently just to say I was moving and my job was changing, which Facebook is good for things like that. And so I forget like, you know, hey, here's 100 people being really nice about it, like saying, do you need any help? And it's like, oh, I miss all that. I miss those people. So maybe I just need to figure out how to interact. I think my friends list is largely curated to where I don't get super upsetting stuff. It's but friends of friends. That's like something puts up something that is reasonable or smart or funny or something. And there's someone who, for some reason, is still on their friends list who jumps in and is just a savage asshole. And I feel like I don't want to see my friend being attacked like that. And it's like, well, it's their feed. They can, right. They can deal with it. uh, I don't know. And then sometimes, you know, even with, not the most unreasonable extremes of conservatism, but sometimes I have really good dialogues even with uh, some fairly conservative people, especially if somebody sort of private messages me and says, like, there's a guy who um, uh, uh, someone said, this guy is uh, sort of a crank and he's uh, a pretty right wing, but he's an old guy. He's a retired firefighter. And one thing, another, and I 
texted him, private messaged him, and found out that he had worked with my cousin, who I was named for, my cousin Bill Bob. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I sort of made a connection with him. And then I was able to sort of let it slide like an old relative who you just like, you know, you just don't have to answer them. You don't have to think very highly of what they're saying, but you don't want to get into it. And once I realized his context, that he was somebody retired, sitting around by himself, getting riled about stuff to make life interesting for himself, then I was like, oh, I don't have to to engage him on those terms. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is just in academia or it's more broad, uh, broadly spread. I hear a lot of people in academia talking about it. It's just over these... For some reason, I don't know if the pandemic set it off or what. It's like um, all of this stuff. Like, because I mean, when you're in academia, like you have to do emails so goddamn much, and some of it is just ridiculous. Like, you just get emails constantly and are expected to respond to them constantly. And I've kind of just hit my limit with it and have fallen out of it for better or worse, like a lot for worse. But like Facebook was just kind of going into that pile for me where it was like, respond to this, respond to this. And it's like, it's too much. I can't, like, I can't respond to things when I'm not like, it's like, if it's going to be a second job, I'm out. Like I can't even respond to my own job, job. I come as close as is possible to not using email at all. Yeah. It's horrible. (laughs) And I don't know, but then I use Twitter all the time and I don't know what the, I haven't been able to put my finger on what the difference is. I think maybe because I'm in more control or something, or I don't know, but like, here's a huge difference in, um, with emails, almost every email you get is somebody saying, here's a problem. Here's an issue. Here's a thing. I'm going to dump it on you and it's yours until you reply. And unless you reply. That's then true. I have I have I've washed my hands of it by dumping it on you, and then you have to find a way to either send it back or resolve right. it or move it on to the next person. And that's how I feel about email. Like, when's the last time I got good news or uh, something pleasurable out of my right. email? Yeah, it just never happens. I never get an email that I'm happy to get. Right. And so much of it, like I've, this is a different topic, but like in Japan, like especially at the university, so much of it is indecipherable email. Like, do you, does this, do you need me to do something? Are you trying to inform me about something that's happening regardless? Are you trying to tell me to do something? Do you need something from me? Could you just say that? Or am I supposed to read through all of these? And I keep giving the example, like I've complained about this for two years. I'm like, I don't know which emails are important. And then everyone will say to me, well, uh, that's because you don't speak Japanese. It's like, no, I do speak Japanese. I don't understand which emails are important. Like, well, if your name is on it and it says important, it's probably important. I'm like, okay, I'll use that rubric. And I, so I got one the other day. It's like very important email. And it's got my name on it. And I looked at it and it was like, uh, if you're thinking about buying a computer this year, you might find that like they're more expensive than they were last year. It's like, oh, great. There's my, <laughs> thank you for my very important email. I'm really happy to receive this. I see this works out great. I want right, so, to. Yeah. Huh? I was just going to say we're kind of over time at this point, but um, uh, depending on how we edit out our glitches, okay. but uh, I, um, uh, I wanted to um, uh, mention uh, that today's Veterans Day, and um, I've been thinking about this quite a bit because both of my nephews, one of them has just finished his uh, basic training yeah, um, uh, to be a sailor. And the other is going into a um, drug dealing gang. Oh, no, wait, that's the Navy SEALs you were talking yeah, about. They are. And, uh, <laughs> he, he's, uh, well, he's going into special forces, not the SEALs, but into, he's going to try to do special forces, starting the training very soon. And so um, I was thinking about, oh, we have um, uh, armed service people in the family again, and it's been forever. And then I realized my dad was and my uncle, uh, Bill Bob, that I was talking about, who I was named for, and my cousin, David Ballard, uh, uh, who I was named for, too. And, um, you know, just Vietnam put a hole in our service from Vietnam until right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't had soldiers in the family. But all the way back, you know, we always have. Uh, and it's just an interesting thing to me. I mean, I don't have a lot, anything profound to say about Veterans Day. I understand that um, people join the military often for very noble reasons. Um, 
a lot of people see the military as essential and the uh, and military service as intrinsically noble. I won't argue the point, um, but um, uh, in general, it's not uh, a day that's meant an awful lot to me in the past uh, because I don't know a lot of, uh, uh, or, or I'm not close to a lot of veterans, uh, or certainly not veterans who think it's a big deal or should be a big deal. But uh, this year I was thinking about it in a different light because, you know, some kids who I love are uh, signed up and uh, training to training to fight. And so I just thought it'd be worth mentioning and acknowledging that today's Veterans Day um, uh, and all that that entails. <laughs> I would like to thank you, military, for my dad's 100% combat disability uh, checks. Uh, without them, um, he would have less cash on hand than he does right now. And we would have to worry a lot more about uh, his hospitalization and his eventual decline without the 100% uh, combat disability. So thank you, uh, North Vietnam, for deciding to turn commie and make give my dad his checks. I also... Uh, uh, I, huh? One of the things I said to my nephews was, um, uh, whatever else uh, comes out of this, you have enrolled in America's only accepted form of socialism. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about the two of them going through basic training and thinking like, uh, has there, I mean, the physical stuff, is there like, <laughs> it's going to be the easiest thing those two have done in years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we get to do push-ups? Please give us, more, how do we get more push-ups? Well, Jacob was uh, singled out to be one of the to be the physical training leader for his. I would uh, imagine so. Yeah. yeah, and I yeah. imagine Michael will be too. When you've grown um, up wrestling like your entire life, like basic training in the Navy is going to be kind of yeah slim. Uh. Okay, so, yeah. well. On that note, we will wrap up this week. And I hope uh, for the people listening to this, maybe you get something new to look at or listen to out of it. All right. See you next week. <laughs>